0: Yeah. Um, good morning. Glad you're here. Glad in particular, Sarah, to see you and Anthony and Abel Richard. Great to see you guys. You guys, yeah, you should be here every week. You fit in. <laughs> Family, miss you guys and uh, it's really lovely to see us. Um a warm welcome. Um, yeah, it's a uh, the equipment this morning, just the weather. And to anyone who have probably seen, the, the weather puts you in a good humour, isn't it? Just like Lifts you a bit, makes you feel a bit more optimistic about things. Gives you see a bit more, a bit more energy. Um, but can I also say that if you're here this morning and you're not feeling particularly optimistic, <laughs> you're here this morning and this week has been tough. If you're here this morning and, and life is tough. That you're in a good place. this is the place that you that is the place that you should be. Because uh, we get to gather together, we get to worship the Lord, we get to reframe our thinking, we get to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We get to spend time in His Word and. Uh, and we come to the Word this morning with the belief that uh, that it gives rest for the soul, that it heals the brokenhearted, that that Jesus is at work in His Word as we as we sit under it, as we um, as we dwell on it, that He's at work in our lives, bringing about what He wants, His purposes, and His will. So I just pray, Father, that as we do come, I pray that Your Word will be all that all that it is as we as we spend time in it. This is about You, Lord. and uh, and you and your grace would want to reach in and uh, and touch our lives this morning. The same way that we saw that that video of you engaging on a real level with that woman. I believe that by the power of your Holy Spirit you want each time we come to you to be as engaging and as real as that Lord. You don't want to be kept at a distance. If you did, why would you come to earth? Why would you send your Holy Spirit? Uh, But that you want to be closer than our skin. So I pray for me and I pray for those of us who've gathered here this morning that, that we would know you minister to our souls Today, and we open ourselves to that, and we come expecting even that, and we give more than given me uh, attention. We give, uh, we give you our attention this morning, Lord. For Your church, we're gathered in Your name, for Your sake, and for Your glory, um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to speak from Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter three. If you're following our Bible project, it's where we were on uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday this week. Um, we read a chapter eight of the New Testament uh, and 2 uh, Corinthians chapter three was our oh, was our text. Um, but the big question that that I feel um, this scripture addresses that I'd like to look at this morning is like the question of how do we how do we change? How can stuff change in our lives in a lasting way we all, we all need it in some regard maybe maybe you came this morning and, and you 're like, how do I get free from from this pattern of behavior that 's wrong with me or maybe how do I get out of this funk? How do I get out of like just the struggle that, that life is? How do I get past this situation? How do I get past this hurts that, that I seem to make some momentum and it always seems to pull me, pull me back towards how do I become whatever it is, a better, a better dad, better mother, a better brother, better sister? How do I find a way to stop the world just like getting me down, <laughs> getting in on top of me? Um, Maybe like stuff is, is like is good here. Like I often describe it. Like, sometimes people are like, oh, how are you doing?" I'm like, "Sometimes it feels like I'm on a treadmill, right? Where I'm I'm running and like something is happening, but I'm running just to stand still, right? I get off the treadmill and I'm at the same place. I'm more wrecked than I was before I got on it, right? But I'm in mean the same place that I that I was. Um, like maybe life life feels like that. We just know deep in our hearts we're made for made for more than running in place. You know? How do I find purpose? How do I find? joy, how yeah, will find some meaning, some momentum that, that moves me forward. Um, and I believe that the scripture holds out for us the potential for real but real, meaningful and lasting change that isn't just in the realm of of self-effort, isn't just in the realm of like try harder or just come up with a plan or whatever. Because how many of us have tried all of that stuff and and what does it do? You know, like it leaves us frustrated and feeling worse because it didn't it didn't work. Um, and so what we hope is that if we spend time in Scripture today, we see that, uh, that real change is possible, real transformation is possible, um, and that the way we go about it might be different than, than what we would expect, um, but that it's really, it's really possible. So we're going to read, read the Scripture. It's around, like I said, 2 Corinthians. The bare minimum context that you need to know um, as we read it is that this is Paul. Right into the church in Corinth. The name would suggest a church that he started in Greece. Um, and there's been some conflicts going on, which, as I, as I read the scripture this week, I was really grateful for. And sometimes we have a picture of like church being awesome. Right, like, like, I like often preach like Acts 2 and Acts 4 in this big picture of like the church. Like, they're doing everything deadly. And then you get the Corinthians and they're all falling out with one another. And they're all like stressed, they're falling out with Paul. And they're all thinking like Paul is useless. Like people are like arguing against him. And he writes these letters to correct them and they take it up the wrong way, and he has to visit them. And there's like this grief going on. And then he writes this other letter. And you see it, as I was reading it, and I was like, you see Paul like almost defending himself at times, you know? Defending like he's like, well. Just, he's trying to defend his ministry. And, um, and I don't know, as a, as a church leader, it's kind of to know that. As a church, that that's the expectation. The expectation isn't that this is going to be rosy, but that it's worth fighting for, that unity... Fighting for that love for one another like takes putting some skin in the game and it takes some awkward conversations and it takes repetitive stuff and it takes going after it. Um, but that it's worth it and to be relentless in pursuing those stuff. And that's not what this sermon is about, but I was encouraged by that in the week, right? So Paul is right in the church in Corinth, and in the middle of that stuff going on, um he, he mentions like the new covenant, what we have in Jesus, and Paul always roots the change that happens in our lives. The reason for getting on with one another, the reason for moving forward in mission, the reason for whatever, always roots it back to Jesus. And it's like it's a letter, right? So he's writing this, and it's almost like, as he mentions the New Covenant, he just goes off on a tangent, and he's like, we've got to build that complex stuff for a minute, right? Just the awesomeness of what we have in Jesus, let me glorify who God is. And that's the bit of scripture that uh, we're going we're gonna to read here. And so he compares in it, there's a little bit of work that we have to do to understand it, right? But so he compares what we call the Old Covenant, or like the Old Testament way of relating to God, the way that they had up until Jesus to relate to God with what we call the New Covenant, what Jesus is doing. right? And we'll pack some of that this morning, but that's why he mentions Moses here, and that's why he he, 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 he speaks about it. And so, here's what I says. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who will put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might Israelites not. To an end. But their minds were hardened for it to this day when they read the old covenant. That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, With unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay. So we'll hit the earlier part of this in in a few moments and unpack what he's talking about, about veils and Moses and whatever whatever that is that's going on there. But if you were in Sunday school this morning and we were looking at this passage, the memory verse would be the last bit there, yeah. It would be like you know, the Lord is spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we are all with unveiled places, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Just even in those in those verses, right, pull them out, but pull out the promises, the things that God is saying should be true about us, that we should have boldness in this hope. To, to, to see as a reality in our life right the first one that the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is there's freedom that that we're meant to be like people who have the spirit the spirit of the lord right huge and that and that then there's there's freedom so the expectation is that for the christian we're living we live in a life of freedom and then it goes on from that right and we will that they hold the glory of the lord so again hold it out to us that what should be the norm for us, what should be something we expect in our lives is that we behold the glory of the Lord, right? something we encounter, we see, we experience, we recognize, we behold God. And then, because of that, we are being transformed. So transformation is possible, that idea of how we change, right? We're being transformed into the same image, right? This is speaking about the image of God who we behold. We're becoming more like, like God. We're being transformed into that from one degree of glory to another, right? That we move from one stage of glorious living to another stage of glorious living. Now, the elephant in the room, right, is, is that anybody's experience of of life? Is anybody completely completely free? If you were to ask me, How are you doing, Robin? Like, right, would you expect? Man, I'm free. Do you, not, like, do, you, do you say that? Or is it like, well, maybe I can say the opposite. I'm under pressure, obligated to some stuff, I'm feeling. A bit just busy, busy, tired, like retreat. How are you doing, Rob? Man, I'm just gone from one degree of glory to another. Thought I was glorious last week, get along with me this week, right? Like one degree, like I just been moving from glory to glory. That's what my life that's what my life looks like. Is that is that a reality? Is that a reality for us? So what have we got here? We've got the tension of this promise. He's not holding out something. Because if Paul held out something, he's like, here's what it should be like and then nobody ever experienced it. Guess what we give up on it, right? And it's like He's full of it because there's no experiential like, reality in that. No, there has to be. There has to be a way for that to be, to be true of our life. So we've got our experience on one hand, but we have it in healthy tension with what the Holy Spirit, who brings us into freedom, will be saying this is what you can have and should have in Jesus. So what we want to do is explore this morning well, how do we get, how do we, how do we resolve that tension? Or it's an elastic band of a wheel that pulls over this way, we just go with the pulling of the Holy Spirit into that that reality, that way, that way of life. The temptation of what passes for what, what what, I do in this space and what anyone else does, is to just like use it as a space to like, you know, you need to change, you need something, but well, just, you know what, God is with you, pick up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, get up, go after it, do you know what I mean? To just like, I don't know, you ever, I'm like real, I The Rocky movies when I grow up and the montage comes on, right, the music comes, you feel motivated to, to move, like that sermon sometimes can be like cheerleading, just 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 move forward, just 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 keep going. You know what I mean? Keep. But we don't we don't need cheerleaders because we finally try that stuff and it, it doesn't really it doesn't really work. Like oh you can even preach stuff you know like be like be like David. David took on giants and one. Be like be like Paul. Paul rejoiced when he was in prison. Be like Jesus. Like but the whole phrase be like be like be like. What are, what are we saying? Try harder. Try harder try harder and we try harder and it doesn't avail of what we really wanted so we can end up kinda kinda giving up. It doesn't work. And I think one of the reasons that it doesn't work is this whole thing that's going on here. Somehow in this little passage it's speaking about this old covenant, this, this way that that the Jews were, were related to God and the way that we contend to right? versus the new covenant. And I think we try to, if this makes sense to you, we try to achieve new covenant promises or new covenant living by living out old covenant ways, right? So, we'll as I unpack and see what that, what that, uh, what that means. To do that, what we need to do is just delve down a little bit into into what this old covenant was and why he's even talking about Moses. And can I encourage you not to shoot out at this point? I confess, sometimes when I'm reading the New Testament and he starts talking about like Jewishness and like ancient stuff, I kind of just I detach a bit because I'm like. Well, he was writing to a group of Jews, I'm not a Jew. I don't have thousands of years of that tradition. Like, built up, so I, like that, that doesn't apply to me. But I think what I've learned as I go through scriptures is that God is, uh, God is genius in the way that he frames stuff. Because the stuff that relates to the old covenant in way, it parallels with, outside of Jesus, what our best attempts would be to try and be right with God, or to try and see positive change in our lives. So there's this real parallel that we can learn from. So, I'd encourage you um, stay with me as I, as I try and work it out um, what, he's, what he's speaking about here. Um, so, he talks about Moses here, right? And Moses somehow put a veil over his face so the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to him. What's he talking about there? So, we go back to Exodus, you see Moses in the wilderness with, uh, with the Israelites. And he goes up on the Mount Sinai, you know the story, and he gets all these commands from God. He's up there for like 40 days. He gets this and he comes down with the law, right? And as he comes down with the law, it says that his face was shining, right? Like, like, so like the glory of somehow from being in the presence of the Lord, Moses' his face was shining and it freaked people out, right? It's just seriously like they were, they were Moses, when you put on a veil, they gave him a veil and put it over because they didn't want to see that thing. They were scared of it. They were apprehensive of it. They were, they were frightened of it. And so Moses comes down with this, this, this way of relating to God. That's what the Baal is talking about. And we'll see how, how that parallels what, what our experience might be. But the law, the law just to say, came with glory. We, we, we look back on the law and we say, you know, well, like it was powerless to bring people to God or whatever. But you look at um, what God was doing. God was saying, I'm going to take for myself some people. I'm going to inject myself back into the story of the people who have Rejected me. So he takes these Israelites and he takes Moses and he leads them out of slavery. Huge pictures of what he does for us. And then he gives them his heart in the law. He's like, I'm giving you the opportunity to be my people. So he installs this covenant. Covenant and testament are the same word Old Covenant, Old Testament, same meaning. And it's basically the way that you have to relate to God. And if you think about it, it's an act of massive grace, even though it's a law being given. It's still God saying, here is a way that you can be made right with me. I'm going to tell you what my heart is for how to, how to live right. It's going to be written down, and we have this agreement between us, and here's how the agreement works. I'll take you to be my people, and if you do everything that I've written down in the law, you'll continue to be my people. And I'll bless you, and I'll bring you into land, and I'll give you all these promises that I promised to your forefather Abraham, that I'll make you into a nation. If you do this, then you get it. If you don't do it, then I take you take my hand off him. And there's punishment, there's there's consequences for not doing the things that I've I've asked you to do. Now that in itself is glorious, that's why Moses' face was glorious when he came down. God is interjecting into humanity and saying, now you have a way to know what is right and wrong, you have a way to know who I am, you have a way to relate to me through all this stuff, the priesthood and the sacrifices. It's an act of grace of God, right, it's a step. But what God is also doing is revealing that there's something deeper going on for humanity. It's revealing that your problem isn't actually probably knowing the right thing to do or not. Your problem is a heart that makes you do the wrong thing even when you know the right thing to do. Jesus came along and in one of his teachings he's like, you know, we all agree don't murder, we all agree don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, even if you're angry in your heart towards someone, you've committed murder in your heart. If you're lustful towards someone else, you've committed adultery in your heart. What's he saying? Is he saying like you're worse than your badge or whatever? He's saying that the, the surface level things, the things we do, they stem from a heart that's broken, and that's where the law was powerless to do anything. It exposed that what we really needed was a change, a change of heart. Something needed to be, something needed to be done. We couldn't obey all of the law, not because it was unreasonable. Not because there's anything in there that you would disagree with as being a right way to live or a wrong way to live. We couldn't obey it because our hearts, disconnected from God, chase after other things. Those demands that are there, that need that our soul has to be satisfied, will chase after all sorts of other stuff that then make demands on our actions, right? That's the source of anything wrong that we do in the sight of God. It's it's, it's heart issues, it's stuff that flows from, from the heart. The will chooses and the mind justifies whatever it is that the heart desires. That's it, like everything flows and starts at the heart level. And so God is what Jesus said, comes along and says, We need we need new hearts. We need something, we need something new to happen, right? Because this, this way has been powerful. So here's here's what God does. That was the old covenant. We need a new way. There needs to be some new way for God to 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 fix. Humanity, because humanity as it exists in the fall is incapable of obeying this law from the, from the heart. right? And so here's what he does. If we really want to be a people who can obey the law, to obey to what God wants us to do, then we need, we need our hearts to be fixed. We need a new humanity. We need an unbroken and unfallen humanity. And God sends a son born, a human. The firstborn of a new, redeemed Humanity. An unfallen humanity. In the image of God again. And Jesus fulfills not just the requirements of the law on a surface level, but the heart of the law. The motivation for what he does. And in fact, sometimes the heart of the law causes him to do stuff that people who are just obeying the surface level of the law disagree with. Because they're only obeying the letter, not not the spirit. And he fulfills all of those requirements, not just in actions but in motivations. Now, here's what's happened, right? If there exists a human who's fully obeyed God and required, done everything required for God's for God's blessing. There exists that human human, right, who's deserving of God's of God's blessing, and there exists the rest of humanity who haven't obeyed fully and are deserving of, of punishment. Well, how does that help us? Here's what, here's what happens. And we know this, right? But it's good to just like glory in it again a bit yeah, just to, like present it again to us so that it hits us afresh here's what happens that this Jesus who lives the perfect life is crucified as a sinner and what the word tells us is that this is the means by which God extended the achievement of Jesus to those who who believe in him and that's a huge that's a huge step not just that there was one who was perfect and we look to him and we worship him and isn't he great and we're still we're still bunched that that he, he took our sin. He's crucified as a sinner. And he takes our sin. There's this exchange that happens where he takes the punishment for sins. And in return he gives us the reward that he was owed for living the perfect life before God. As a gift to anyone who's willing to accept. <laughs> Not earned as a gift. You get my righteousness. A couple of chapters after this, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul summarizes it. The greatest gospel summary I think says this. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God this exchange happens, God made him who knew no sin Jesus, to become sin on the cross, crucified, punished so that in him we become the righteousness of God, we get the benefit of what Jesus did as if we did it ourselves the old covenant you do what's right for me and I'll bless you the new, like some man is on one side having to do this stuff, God is on the other side watching you do it the new covenant, God is on one side still saying you need to live a right life. On the other side of the covenant is Jesus saying, yeah, done. Box ticked. And everyone who believes in me gets to be part of that box ticked. It's done. It's finished. It's achieved. That's the new covenant. Conditions are met. Contract fulfilled. It's done. It's finished, he says on the cross. So remember, we're talking here about how we change. So what? How does that affect us? We know that if our faith in Jesus, we have right standing before God, right? But then there's still the outworking of it in our lives, right? Because I can know and believe by faith that God accepts me right now based on what Jesus has done in his righteousness. But then I still leave here, and I'm still, like, I'm still mangled up with insecurities and doubts and fears and stresses and whatever else. It still, it still needs to be lived out in this life before I go to be in eternity with Jesus or before he returns, and this simple stuff is all completely gone. We have this, this battle to live Bible describes, to use this word, sanctification as that battle. Justification is the word of, like, right now you're standing before God as a chief, Jesus, right? Sanctification is, how does our life come to match that reality of how God, how God sees us? So we're asking, really, how can we be sanctified? How can we change? That's what we open up with. This desire that we have to change, to become more like what we know is, is right, how does that even happen? And it only happens because of the justification, that's what I'm trying to say. We have this conflict very bold. We don't have to be like Moses who put a veil over his face so they want to gaze at the outcome of was being brought to an end. So what was happening there, right? Here's, here's, where the, here's where we can see a tendency in our own heart. Because when I read it, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't fully get it. I went back and read the Exodus bit where he comes down from the mountain and he's full of the glory of God and the people are freaked out and they like, put a veil on. I would imagine it would be like form a cue, lads. Let's see the glory of God on Moses' face. Like let's do what I mean, let's experience it, let's see what that what that looks like. Uh, but instead they're terrified. They're terrified of it. They know that God is real. Remember, these are the people who God's just like the plagues in Egypt, brought them out the Red Sea, it's parted, strikes a rock, water comes out of it, there's a pillar of glory following them around, like like they know that God is real. They're in awe of this God. And I think the reason for the veil, the reason why they're freaked out by the, the glory of God, the reason why they kind of recoil from it or don't want to see it, is that if all we have is the law as the way to make us right with God, then the thoughts of being exposed before the glory of God are terrifying. Because on a heart level, we know that we're not, we're not good enough. If we were, if we guys, honestly, but see, like the holiness of God, the perfection of God. What happens when we just become aware of our sin and that, that we crumble? Yeah, we, melt like, we, we melt. We recoil. On honestly, God's, God's holiness isn't the beautiful thing to us terrifying thing to us. If, if, if my if my record before the Lord, my acceptance before the Lord, my ability to approach Him is based on, on how well I've lived even in the last twenty four hours, then I make it. Yeah? I go I go the opposite direction. I distance myself from God. I don't I don't approach Him. And that's what this veil is about. That's what he's saying. Like, we, we can become people who have unveiled faces. Like, still now, those who read Moses, meaning reading the law, those who put their faith in being accepted by God, like, on, on doing the right things, like, still now when they do it, they have a veil in front of them because they can't, they can't come face to face with God. They need, they need, they need something to, to keep them to keep them distant. And I think that's what's, what's going on. And if I extend that out to us, if, if all we have to stand before God... Is our record or how good we've done or who's, who's managed even for a day guys not to mess up like at a heart level we might manage to curtail the behaviors through self-discipline or whatever but if we followed at times our heart really wants the desires that are there we followed all of those impulses and went after jesus like there's a heart there's a heart thing going on and that's the that's the reason for the veil i think it's almost like don't make me look at god put something between me and him how many of us do it Practically, in our lives, we fail, we mess up, we do something that God's been like correct in the song we do it again, what do we do? Like, do we, do we run straight to God? In our time and in, like the, the human nature tendency, right? Maybe you've learned the discipline of running to run straight to God and God, praise the Lord, that's exactly what you should be doing. But I would, that would wager that nine times out of 10, here's what you do, it's like, oops, this I like, I'll stop. Or just distance myself there a because now I feel like a hypocrite. I won't put on the worship song because, I know where my head's just in, my heart's just in. I feel like a hypocrite. Maybe I won't go to church and I'll stay away for a while. I certainly won't pray. I won't, won't expose my heart before the Lord like because I don't like what's there right now. So what I'll do is I'll wait until it's a little bit better and, uh, and then I'll expose it before the Lord. And what, what are we functionally saying there? That I get rid right of God by doing the right things. I can approach God based on the law. I can approach God based on that. And if that's our only hope, all we'll ever do is keep God at a distance, right? And no real we'll change, no real we'll change will happen. It won't change. It won't happen. The holiness of God is too intimidating to you, rather than being compelling to you. That's what I mean by when we take like old covenant ways and try to bring them into the new covenant promises. So we completely this stuff to be like, yeah, we need to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. What do we, what do we think about when we do that? We think about self-discipline. We think about, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do this more, I'm going to, you know what I mean, like, like pull myself up by our bootstraps. And if the Lord, if the Lord's gracious and not letting us away with that, because if he did let us away with that, what would he be doing? He'd be building our own self-righteousness. Do you know what I mean? He'd be like, there's no need for Jesus if we can do that, right? And we know from our experience that we just can't anyway. You know, We might want to, but we, we, we can't. We need a substitute, we need something different. The veil being removed means that because of Jesus, It says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is gone. And it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What's he saying? He's saying that when we turn to Jesus, this veil can be gone. Because now, when we stand before the Lord, we're not real, like our record. Now, when we stand before the Lord, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. With confidence. Knowing that I can go into the presence of the Lord. I can behold the Lord. Even in the middle of my sin. Which is, which is right when you actually need it, guys. To be honest, yeah. It's not when you fix yourself, when you try to pick yourself up. It's right in the middle of the sin. Where I could come to the Lord, who's the only one who can actually change me. From the inside out. But I don't have to try and fix myself. I don't have to try and get it right for a while. I don't have to whip myself in the mornings or whatever. Your version of that looks like. Until you're, you're right with the Lord. But that we can just come to him. In the middle of it. That we don't come, and we're like, am I sufficient right now? That we don't come with our own insufficiency in the way. We come in the full sufficiency of Jesus. We don't come in our own righteousness. We come in his righteousness. And so we can dare to go to God. That's what Jesus has won for us. That's the, the new covenant that takes Paul off on this tangent. Right, but I just have to remind you, I have to remind you, I have to remind you, don't fall back into this way of thinking. Even if you're not a Jew and you didn't even know about this Moses stuff, that this is, the, this is the tendency of your own heart, yeah, to make up your own way to be right. And how does that get to how does that get to change? This is what's huge here, right? It's the fact, guys, let me do this justice, it's the fact that we're able to behold God that enables us to change. The gospel teaches something it's counterintuitive, right? Because like, any other religion, any, anything else, just the best of human thoughts would think, like, how do I change, try harder, motivate yourself, make a to-do list, make yourself accountable, tell somebody else, all of which, right, can be, can be good. The Bible says in the Gospel, here's how no change happens. Beholding the glory of the Lord will be transformed into the same image from degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord in the Spirit. He's saying that the way that change happens is by beholding, beholding God. By seeing God. What the law can't do, the Spirit does and brings freedom. Beholding the glory of the Lord. I love that word beholding. It's like a it's like a it's almost like a holy world, not like behold a piece of plastic, you know, it's like behold, like it's a big like behold the galaxy, do you know what I mean? Or behold like if you're beholden to something, it's like you're 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 captured by it, do you know what I mean, you're enamored by it and scenery and mountains or something like that that just takes your breath away. It's like that's what we should be doing, putting ourselves in the way of beholding God, and that that's the key to transformation. Do you see that? Do you see that connection? It's not about the effort, it's about, it's about what we can do to do, to do this, to know that this is where it starts, that we are loved. It's where it's the start point. it's where it's the first value, it's where we are loved by God. And as we behold Him, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we behold Him, we come to look like Him. We get transformed into the, into the same image of God. That's, I mean, it's gigantic, right? And it's, it's something we just need to, we need to hear, we need to grasp, we need to move into by faith that you, the thing is that you become, you become what you behold. And we know it's true even on like practical, practical levels. When I was a kid I used to go to Manchester for the, like for like a couple of weeks in the summer over on holidays to like my aunts uncle's and uncles and all. I come back like to the nineties, I come back speaking like Ian Gallagher after two weeks, right? I just haven't having been in Manchester for two weeks, I pick up like this mind accent and come back. Just because I'm immersed in something that affects the way that I that I act, yeah. Just even on a practical level, and the way that we know is true. You could, like, if you spent time around Penny and you knew us but didn't know that she was our daughter, right? You would probably figure out that she's our daughter if spending time around her because she talks like Patrice and she like looks like me, yeah. And like, just and there's some genetic going on there, but even just in the environment that she's been in, like, she says things that we say because that's the, that's what she's immersed in. And on a very surface level, it's just like this. It's like the more time you spend with Jesus the more the more you begin to look the more you begin to look like him begin to talk like him you begin to, to act like him and that's on, that's on a surface level but there's, there's deeper stuff going on here that it's as we behold him we come to look like him and this is another sermon I won't go, I won't go there but just this word this word image life. Do, do we see how huge that is there's another maybe next time I'll preach but it says we're being transformed, not just becoming like better people or whatever. We're being transformed into the into the same image. One real face who holds the glory of God, we're being transformed into the same image. The same image as what? The same, the same as Jesus. Like the same as, as God, the same as, as this new humanity. See what Jesus has won back for us, right? Again, rather than take a second, right? Maybe you'll just go and study this yourself, right? But we go back to Genesis. And it says God created man and woman in what? In his what he created them. In his image, he created them. And this saying the key, the key to recapturing that image, that, that, that thing that was corrupted and lost in the fall. Is this beholding, beholding the glory of the Lord. He's rooted, change and becoming. I said Jesus is the first of this new humanity, that we get to become the next fruits of this new humanity as we told him. How free is it? That's why where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. It's like, how do I we change, Rob? Well, do this, 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 and this. No, how do I change, worship the Lord? Oh, their hearts don't mind the strength, so in them. Psalm 1, yeah? Blessings to man who is walk in the, the way of sinners, sit to see the of but is the light in the law of the Lord? You can on it pavement, find your delight in God, and you yield your fruit in season. Like that's, the story of the Bible that need, we need to be able to behold God. The only way we can behold God is if we have someone else's record to approach him and that's the glory of the new covenant. Jesus gives us it, So that your inheritance, that you can get up each morning and behold the glory of God. And rather get up each morning and discipline yourself because I need to change this, I need to be better this, I need to be better that. You behold the glory of God and in the presence of God all of that stuff happens from the inside out. Your heart motivations change, your mind changes. Like, like stuff just gets rooted in your soul. And now you live out in the overflow of a heart that's been transformed. Like I said, the will chooses and the mind legitimizes whatever it is that the heart desires. And the way that a heart is changed is what we hold in the glory of God. He hasn't said, here's a load of the things that you need to do now. Here's, like, here's a load of stuff to beat yourself up when you can't, you can't do it. He said, I want your heart. You're going know, after your heart. I want to change your heart put yourself in the way of the love of God day after day after day, I'm going to change you from the inside out, that you get to recapture that image, the image of God that we had to bear. Look at this study, Romans 1 and Romans 8 where it says like that they exchanged the glory of God for, for images, like carbon images that we made to worship instead. The humanity was meant to be the image of God on the earth, that's what Jesus was, is the image of God on the earth, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and he's saying here's how you're transformed into that image. Sometimes when we think and use the language, I don't know if you actually want to be more like Jesus. I what you even think when I say that. I'm assuming you want to be more like Jesus. But maybe, like, what does that mean to be more like Jesus? Run your long leather sandals and kind to float around, float around the place kind of serenely. Like, am I? Are we? Am I going to lose my personality and I become sort of some generic religious? Like, no. God wants God wants you to be you. He wants you to be you, restored into the fullness of what, Jesus is the restoration of humanity, are you with me? So, so, to be more like Jesus, Jesus walks around free from sin, yeah? What means to be more like Jesus as in, you know what I mean, just copying him or like saying the words that he said or whatever, imitating him in that, in that regard? Jesus walks around free from sin, Jesus walks around with a heart that's aligned with the things of God, Jesus walks around with Jesus compassionate people because of the love of God that's in his heart Jesus walks and worships and he's related to people and he's loving people and he's connected with them and he's free Where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom that he's free he's the first of humanity to be born free and then extends that freedom to us by the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us dwells in us and assures us that what Jesus has won is the beginning of what, what you can have Confidence in the goodness of God, purpose that flows from identity in God, peace in the middle of a mad world. Jesus doesn't need to prove himself. See, people like want to make a king. We want to make a king. Jesus walks the opposite direction. No interest in being king. Like he isn't tempted by the by the stuff, because his heart is is there a to resist temptation. The capacity to love fully and freedom. Freedom. We get to be like transformed into the same image of 8 again. Those who be predestined. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Don't just hear some generic religious, we all become like Jesus in that way. We're becoming fully human again. That image, that image, one back. So what I would say to you guys, and I just encourage you is, refuse to live in an Old Testament mindset. When you recognise it, refuse. When that temptation is there, when you fail today or tomorrow, whatever it looks like, and you're in the slog of it, refuse to be like well, I just, I just need to get better. I refuse to go after it in your own strength. And instead, there to believe the that you have the righteousness of Jesus, which enables you today to boldly enter the Holy of Holies. You know that scripture in here? We can boldly enter. How can we be bold? And enter? because we have such a hope, that hope is Jesus. who's done everything from start to finish to make you right with God, to give, you, to give you righteousness. It's not your own, but a righteousness that comes as a gift, as a gift from him. Because of that, you can enter the presence of God. As you do, your heart is changed. You become sanctified. and That's the process of moving from glory to glory. The process of being glorified is when our sanctification begins to match our justification. It, becomes, it begins to be a lived-out reality in our lives that we're becoming more like Jesus. The only way to do it, I'm telling you. And it's an exclusive claim, right, that whatever relativists or the individualists or any other will, like, won't like <laughs> I'm saying this, the only way for lasting change to happen in your life is by beholding the glory of God in Jesus Christ. The only way you'll do that is if you believe in your whole heart that God raised him from the dead, that he was crucified for your sin, enough to dare you can approach the throne, the throne of God to be in awe of him, day after day. Month after month, year after year, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It comes from the Lord who is the, the spirit. I just really I just really want to encourage you. The only, the only lasting change that's ever happened in my life has come about that way. Loads of things that I've tried to do through my own effort. The best of plans, reading the best books, the best strategies, that's taken millions of them, right? Loads of efforts. Um, but the only lasting change has come up beholding the glory of the Lord in some way that's melted me. Like, and just humbled me. And made me so grateful for who he is. What God does is not just like, say, imitate Jesus as in, here's the standard, now you go do it. He says, what Jesus has done, free your heart. Well, absolutely free your heart. When you behold the glory of God, when you you realise how much you are by God, I'm just telling you guys, it satisfies your soul to the extent that you don't have to go after the other things that you're chasing right now to satisfy your soul. It's the simplicity of the gospel. If all of our wrong behaviour stems, stems from our heart going after something that we can actually have in God because of what Jesus has done, what we need to do is put ourselves in the way of the glory of God. What does that look like? i say this at the end, so i start with it. It sounds like I'm saying, Hats, read the Bible, pray, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like religious stuff, but there are tools, there's ways that God has given us to express um, and to be exposed to his glory. In community, things are committed already, right, you don't need me to t- you know them. Commit it to prayer. Commit it to worship. Put on the songs that you know move your heart until your heart is moved. Like don't be relentless with this stuff. And the same, with the same aggression or the same like way that you would pursue other things that you want to go after. Pursue. Pursue God. Put on the songs. Open your word. Like get with one another in the mornings or the evenings or whatever. Like random times during the week or regular times. Like establishing your life patterns that put you in the way of the glory of God. So that you know You know, you know, you know that you are loved by God. Nothing else will change. Nothing else will do. That's our exclusive claim, but our great hope, that we don't need anything else to do. We don't need anything else because Jesus is completely, completely sufficient. As we come to uh, communion, we have a chance to just remember that. We have a chance to, again, act on that. It's an act of faith, taking communion, yeah? What we're doing is like, this is the this is the blood jesus pours out jesus when he shares it's like this is the blood of the new covenant imagine that moment right Sleep around the table with jesus behold how out of and it's like there's a new way guys there's a new <laughs> there's a new way look the video shows no temples and whatever like there's a you're at a temple there's a new there's a new way a new covenant as we take the bread and we take the wine, we're taking it in faith saying what my, my, my hope is in this is the way my hope isn't in my old way, my hope is in the body that was broken for me, not in me breaking my own body. My hope is in the blood that poured out for me, not in the blood, sweat, and tears that I put into this thing. I'm embracing this this new covenant. Uh, Mal, would, would you pass them around and treat my health? And um everyone has them. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna simply pray. Jesus, You told us to do this and remember You. death. Uh, oh Lord, I pray that as we remember You, as we think of what it is that You've done, I pray that joy will flood our hearts and gratitude will flood our hearts. Just what You've done is so incredible, Jesus. I pray that as we partake in this today, we would remember that You gift us Your righteousness. As we take it, we would remember that the sin that so easily we allow to create distance between us. It's powerless to actually do that because of your body and your blood that was broken. I pray that our eyes would be open to see the reality of that and to step into that in every day. I pray that even now, as we uh, partake in this, I pray we'd recognize that you're with us now, Jesus. And that there would be even a moment of beholding you in your glory. Beholding you in your goodness, your majesty. Beholding you in your incredible immeasurable love for us that caused you to give your life. We take it saying that we put all of our hope into this new covenant. We put all of our hope into believing that what you have done fulfills both sides of the agreement. And we celebrate, even in this meal, that uh, we celebrate that achievement on our behalf. We step into it by faith. Amen.